Welcome to the Your Best Life for Eternity podcast. That's right. It's not about living for the now. It's about living now for eternity. This is the place where Christian maturity is measured, not by how much you know, but by how much you are obeying of what you know. We are looking to raise up an army of 100% sold out committed followers of Jesus who are willing to give up everything, including their own lives, to follow him and complete the Great Commission in this generation. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, welcome to Your Best Life for Eternity podcast. I'm Brad Taylor. Glad you're here. Let me give you just a little bit uh, idea of what we're about. Hey, what we're about is trying to see God's worldwide operation, His Great Commission, completed actually in this lifetime. And, and that's really uh, doable if you run the numbers. If we can just motivate and, and encourage and equip and send out enough of God's people to be out there doing their primary job of making disciples, that is well within the realm of possibility to see that completed in this lifetime. And so a couple of ways that we go about that is, one, we're looking uh, through this podcast and other means to equip and train an army of 100% sold-out committed followers of Jesus who are willing to obey him, regardless whatever the cost may be, uh, even to the point of giving up their life if that's what's required to see God's worldwide operation, his great commission completed in this lifetime. And the other thing that we're about is we're working to change, and we think this will have an impact also, we're working to change the definition of a successful church from being its Sunday attendance numbers to its lifetime sent out numbers. And what we mean by lifetime sent out numbers is the number of people that that church has sent out over the life of that church to go and take the gospel to people that have never heard the gospel. And so a phrase you'll hear us use a lot is, we are not living for the now, but we are living now for eternity. In other words, we are living now with our eye on eternity instead of living now for what we can get out of life now. So today's uh, topic, uh, to help that along, uh, today's topic is what I call three wrong questions and three right questions, and we're going to get to that. But real quick, let's just do a check-in, which is something that I found helps me a lot with my disciple-making to make me more effective, to make me more consistent, and to make me more confident. If you can find someone to ask you these two questions on a weekly or at least every other week basis, and it's got to be someone that won't listen to your excuses and that'll hold you accountable and that can see through you when you're not being straight with them, this will make a huge difference in your, to, your efforts to make disciples of Jesus. And so the first question is, what has God been showing you and how are you doing at immediately obeying what God has been showing you? So I want to repeat that. The first question that you need to be asked regularly is, what is God showing you and how are you doing with immediately doing what it is that God has shown you you need to be doing? The second question is, give me the names of the people in the past week that you've attempted to start a spiritual conversation with, with the purpose of making disciples. So give me the names of the people within the last week that you've attempted to start a spiritual conversation with, with the intention of making a disciple of Jesus. 
If you will add those two questions to your repertoire, if you can't find somebody to ask you those right now, ask them yourself and be honest. I think you'll see a great increase in your ability to make disciples. All right, well, let's get to the topic. Three wrong questions and three right questions. And so what do I mean by that? Well, what I found is as I go around and I talk to people, uh, making disciples, talking with people about spiritual things, I get asked these questions. Uh, it might not be the exact questions, but it's something along that lines. And what I began to realize was is the questions I were being asked were not real questions. Uh, they were false questions. And I say that because they were based on a false premise, a false assumption, a false understanding. And so I would spend a lot of time trying to answer these questions and, and make sense of these questions for people. But it wasn't even a question that was uh, existent in reality. And so we're going to go through these and we're going to do them in pairs. So we're going to do the wrong question and then the right question and then the next wrong question and right question. And then finally, the last wrong question and right question. But think about this. As a disciple maker, your job is not to make God look good to the person that you're talking with or to the culture that you're engaging with. I want to repeat that. Your job as a disciple maker is never to try and make God look good to the people that you're talking with or to make God look good to the culture or community that you're engaging with. And what do I mean by that? Well, your job as a disciple maker is to accurately reflect who God is to that person that you're talking with or to that culture or community that you're engaging with. And a lot of times what we find ourselves doing is to get people to accept and believe what it is we're talking about, we try to make God look good. Remember this, God is who he is, and he has no problem with being who he is. He's fine with that. And so if God being God becomes a barrier for someone to surrender to Jesus, well, that's God's issue, and God will deal with that. But what we as disciple makers don't want to do is we want to make sure that we aren't the reason, the way that we're presenting God, the way that we're reflecting God and showing God to people, that our method, our approach is not the reason that there's a barrier between people uh, going from where they are to surrendering to God. See the difference? If, if who God is is a barrier, well, then that's on God. He will handle that, and he's fine with that. But if our approach and our method is the, is the barrier, well, that's on us, and that's our problem. And so when we talk to people, when we engage with people, when we engage with our culture and community, our only motivation should be love for God and Him being glorified and love for that person or the people in that culture or community that we're engaging with. All right, so enough of that. Let's get to the first wrong question. So the first wrong question is, have you ever heard something like this, uh, maybe not exactly in these words, but something along these lines, it goes like this. What happens to the guy that's lived his, his entire life on a deserted island and has never heard the gospel Will he go to heaven? So what they're really saying is, what will happen to the innocent person who has never heard the gospel? Will they go to heaven? Man, I used to try to talk around this and come up with all these ways to answer that question until I, until I really started thinking about what the Bible says. And, and a great place to go research this is what Paul wrote in Romans in the first three chapters. Paul lays it out. Number one, right, uh, Romans 3.23, a lot of us know it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
everybody is a sinner. There is no innocent person. And beyond that, people can't will never be able to stand before God and, say, and use the excuse, I didn't know you existed, because God says what? He says, hey, look, I gave you creation. Paul says that in Romans 1. He says, I gave you creation. Look around. Creation says that I exist. And then in Romans 2, Paul says, and every person has a conscience inside of them telling them there's right from wrong, telling them there's a right and there's a wrong. And so where did that come from? And so everybody knows there's a God, right? And then uh, God goes on to say in Jeremiah, he says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. So the fact there's creation and a conscience tells people that there's something beyond this. There's something that made this. And if you seek after that with all your heart, God promises you'll find him. So nobody's going to be able to say, hey, I was innocent. I didn't know. I mean, if there's an innocent person that has never sinned, that has never done, gone against what God wants, then yes, they would get into heaven. But the problem with that question of what happens to the innocent person that has lived on a desert island and never heard the gospel, when they die, will they go to heaven? The problem is there is no such person except for Jesus. All the rest of us are guilty. All the rest of us are guilty people. And so don't worry about asking or answering that question. Kind of flip the question there and say, hey, you know, the Bible says there isn't anyone who is innocent. Everybody knows there's a God from creation, from their conscience, from the Bible, which they may not have at that time, and also from Jesus. But if they seek after God, they will find him, okay? And so the real question is, what happens to the guilty person who has lived on a desert island and never heard the gospel when they die? Because they are guilty. And if you say, well, since they haven't heard the gospel, they're okay, you got to be careful about saying that because what does that imply? I think that implies that there's another way to get to heaven than through Jesus. There's another way to the Father than through Jesus. But Jesus did say, right, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So that would kind of make Jesus out to be a liar, I think, which I know I don't think we want to go there. But we have this quick response to say, well, they're, they're still going to be okay. Well, if they're still going to be okay without ever having heard the gospel and heard about Jesus, then the best thing for a missionary to do when they go to a place where the gospel has never been preached is to make sure people never hear about Jesus because then the person wouldn't have any responsibility that they didn't respond to the gospel. But once a person hears about the gospel and hears about Jesus, then they will be held responsible for what they did with it. And that, I don't think, is the direction we want to go. So what happens to the guilty person who has lived on a desert island and never heard the gospel? Well, they've had the opportunity they know there's a God. They know there is something by creation in their conscience. And if they have sought after that one, that, that being, that God with all their heart, they will find him. And so there is, no guilt, there is no innocent person in this world. All are guilty. And the question is, will they surrender to Jesus and trust in him and believe in him and put all their eggs in his basket to make them right with God? So that's the first pair of wrong and right questions, okay? The second pair of wrong and right questions is, um, 
This is another one. How can a just and loving God send a person to hell? Have you ever heard something along that line? Well, if God is loving, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. It's something along those lines, right? Boy, that one sounds reasonable at first, doesn't it? I was like, yeah. If God is loving, if God is just, then he wouldn't send anybody to hell. But there is a bit of a problem because in Proverbs uh, 17, verse 15, it says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both an abomination to God. I want to repeat that. Okay. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both an abomination to God. So if we are all sinners and we are all wicked, therefore, right, because we've, we've gone against what God wanted, then we are wicked. And if God just justifies us, like boom, poof, you're justified for no reason, he would be an abomination to himself. And, you know, that's probably not going to happen. God's not going to be an abomination to himself. So we're stuck a little bit in a quandary here. God has wicked people. He can't just let them into heaven, correct? In fact, if you don't believe that, Read through uh, Romans chapter 3 and look at all the times that these all-inclusive phrases are used by Paul. All, no one, nobody, no not one, referring to people and how they have all uh, sinned, how they are all wicked, how they are all evil in God's sight. Okay, Just read through it, you know. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And they always say, who is excluded from the word all? Nobody, right? We are all included in the word all. There are no exceptions. There are no exclusions. So we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God just turning around and justifying that wicked person, you, me, whoever it is, would make him an abomination to himself. And so the real uh, the right question that should be asked, instead of trying to answer the question, how can a just and loving God send a person to hell? The real question is, how can a just God let a wicked person into heaven? That's the real question that all of us need to be wrestling with. And the answer to that, I'm sure most of you know, but the answer to that is found in the last part of Romans 3 where Paul then talks about, after he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he then goes on to talk about, but God has sent his son, Jesus, which is a gift to us through faith. And he goes on to say that people in the past, people in the present, and people in the future, everybody who has ever lived, the only solution to their problem with their situation, their divide, their separation from God because of their own wickedness is Jesus. It has always been that way from the foundation of the world, and it always will be that way. And so the answer to the question, how can a just God let a wicked person into heaven? The answer is, it is through Jesus. It is through the gospel, which is a gift that is accessed through faith. And so that's the second question, uh, right and wrong, or wrong and right questions. Wrong is, how can a just and loving God send a good person to hell? There is no good person, right? And if he's just and loving, uh, if he's just, then he can't uh, justify the wicked because that would make him an abomination. But the real question that needs to be answered is, how can a just God let a wicked person is into heaven? And the answer is through the gospel. Okay. So the third question, 
And this one is, is just really, th those first two you get a lot when you're talking with unbelievers. This one you get a lot when you're talking with people who go to church when you're trying to bring up something about foreign missions and the unreached people around the world, the three billion unreached, uh, they will say, well, why should we send resources? Why should we allocate resources and people and send them to someone halfway around the world who is not a Christian when there are so many people living around me who are not Christians, right? Why should we send money and people halfway around the world to talk to somebody who's not a Christian when there are so many people around me who are not Christians? At first, once again, it seems like a good question, but let's dig into it a little bit. The three billion people around the world that are unreached and the person living next to you who are not Christians, it is true, they are both not Christians. And when they die, they are both going to hell. But here's the difference between them. The people living in your community that are not Christians? Let me ask you a question. When you go to church, how many churches do you drive past to go to the church that you're going to attend? How many? Two, three, four? I know just on the road out here where we live, I think there's six to eight churches right out here on this little road. So the point is, and, and there's a lot more churches in your community that you don't drive past to go to your church, right? The point is there are a lot of churches in your community, a lot of churches from which that person living in your community that is not a Christian has the opportunity to hear the gospel. And if those churches aren't doing their job and sending people out and training and equipping them to go out and make disciples and share the gospel with unbelievers, the fact that you live in that community gives that unbeliever, that non-Christian in your community, the opportunity to hear the gospel because you can share the gospel with them. So the point being, the people living in your community that are not Christians, they have access. They should have an opportunity to hear the gospel, an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. But the three billion plus people in the world that are classified as unreached, those people in all probability will live and die having never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And why is that? Because there's no churches where they live. There are no Christians where they live. There is no one living around them from which they will have the opportunity to hear the gospel and make a choice to respond or not. So that's the difference. So instead of asking the question, why should we send money and resources to halfway around the world to share the gospel with people when there are so many people here who are not Christians? I think the question that should be answered is, why should some people have the opportunity to hear and reject the gospel two, three, four, five, six times? when others have never heard the gospel once? Why should others have the opportunity to hear and reject the gospel two, three, four, eight, five, maybe six times, while others have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel once? To me, that's the bigger question. And I'll leave the answer to that one between you and God for you to spend some time with God and see what he shows you on that one. So let's summarize quickly here. Okay, what are the three wrong questions? What happens to the innocent person living on a desert island who has never heard the gospel? Will they go to heaven when they die? Number two is, how can a just and loving God send a good person to hell? And number three is, why should we send money and resources half, and people halfway around the world to share the gospel with someone when there are so many people here who are not Christians? 
And what are the three right questions? What happens to the guilty person who has lived on a desert island and has never heard the gospel when they die? The second right question is, how can a just God allow a wicked person into heaven? And the third right question is, why should someone have the opportunity to hear and reject the gospel two, three, four, five, six times when some have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel once? All right. Hey, look, if you want to continue, you want to get a jump start on, on your disciple making, becoming a better disciple maker, if you will check the notes uh, down below, there's a link. It's called our Personal Disciple Making Strategy Report, and it'll give you um, an outline of how to begin actually an organized, intentional way of going out and making disciples on a regular basis. Uh, number two is all the scripture references that we talked about, they're also referenced down below in the notes. Um, also, there's ways that we can continue the conversation. This is not the only way that we're working to equip that army of 100% uh, sold-out committed people in order to see God's great commission, his worldwide operation completed in this lifetime. There's a lot of ways. Uh, we do it on Facebook. Uh, we do it on Instagram. Uh, we do it on LinkedIn, okay? We also have a podcast. If you just want to listen to the audio of this, it's a podcast. Uh, but I would ask you to subscribe to this. Subscribe to this channel right now. Go ahead, hit the button, subscribe, uh, and like it, okay? And if you think this is, is useful, share it with somebody else. You know, we can't uh, develop this army on our own. Okay? This is a group effort by the Christian community as a whole. We're not saying we're it. Hey, we're just part, a small part of it, a little cog in, in the big wheel here, a little cog in the big system here to try to get this going. So if you think this is useful, share this with other people. Uh, you can go, like I said, Facebook, Instagram, um, uh, LinkedIn, sorry, LinkedIn, slipped my mind there. We also have a podcast. Go down, there's links below. You can click on that. Uh, also, if you want to just supercharge your disciple-making strategy or your disciple-making abilities, we have a course that we've put together. It's called Foundations of Disciple Making. There's a link to it below. Click on that. Go over. Check it out. Uh, click on that. You don't pay anything. You just go in and you uh, you can read some more about it and learn about it. But that is uh, that's come from hundreds of hours, or excuse me, training hundreds and hundreds of people, many many hours, uh, coming up with what is worked, what doesn't work. We put it all together in that course. Uh, it gives you just the basics to get you out going. It's not going to overwhelm you. Uh, but it's going to get you very practical things that you can start doing and equip you to go out with more confidence to be more effective at making disciples. Okay? So, hey, until next time, let's be about doing our job, which is going out, being an ambassador of the King of Kings, and making disciples. Because we are not living for the now, but we are living now for eternity.